Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings to the Nonprofit Exchange. It's our regular Tuesday at 2 if you're watching it live, if you're listening to the podcast. This could be any time in history because every week we talk about the important themes that we as leaders step up to the plate as influencers in our arena, as community leaders, as, as religious leaders, as leaders in organizations, no matter where we are, we do influence other people in the organization. My guest today is actually a neighbor in, in Lynchburg, and uh, her name is Wendy Adams. Wendy, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Well, Hugh, I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity, especially coming off of a holiday weekend to be able to share. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, kind of get, getting back to work, it's a, it's a Tuesday after Labor Day, <laughs> and it seems like a Monday in some reason. I don't know. So, Wendy, you're in the sports area, but you're really in the storytelling sweet spot. I'm not going to try to describe what you do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you first to tell people just a a snapshot. Who is this mysterious person called Wendy Adams, and what is it that you're doing right now? So give us an up-to-date. Who are you, and what are you doing? And, and I also want to know why you're doing this. Great questions, Hugh. Um, again, appreciate the opportunity to share. I am in the industry of storytelling. So my official title is Chief Relationship Officer. I'm reminded constantly by my family that I've thought I was chief for a very long time, and now I actually have the title. But really what that comes down to is I work with sports outreach. We're a ministry of 30 years. November will be our 30th birthday. And we've used sports as the common language. We serve in four other countries outside of the United States, and we don't all speak the same language. But we all know what to do with a ball or how to perform on a field or on a chessboard. And really what it comes down to is if we can open up conversation, then we can be able to influence. Um, we can be an influence and we can be able to share where we're getting our influence from. And as a Christian organization, sports outreach has the ability to meet both practical and spiritual needs. Um, my journey, really began with a bout of disobedience. <laughs> when I get asked, how did you get to where you are, Wendy? Um, it's not a mystery. I'm pretty much an open book. And really what it came down to is I was walking one particular path that I was clear the Lord had put me on. And in 2007, he said, I have something different for you. I want to use those skills, those abilities in a different way. And I quickly answered, thanks for sharing. I love what I'm doing and we're gonna keep going. And in 2009, as a business owner, working in the area of special events in Tampa, Florida at the time, um, things came to a screeching halt. And just as he said, he had something different. And I decided to take the long route. And it brought me uh, not only to a new geographical location, but he literally took this skill set of being an influencer and being a connector of people. And he turned it in a way very different very meaningful, but not what I saw coming. 
And that brought me into the area of what we would officially call fundraising. Uh, what it really is, is relationship building, is connecting those that have a need with those that have been called to meet that need and having them meet through, through the story. One telling theirs, the other one listening and how they can connect. And that's really what I do is I build the bridge um, in doing that. And in this case, we use the bridge of sports. And as you probably know, I use team analogies with the orchestra, uh, but you could use team analogy with any sports team. Right. And, and what we do together has a lot more profound impact if we function as an ensemble, a musical ensemble, a drama ensemble. Um, my sport um, is, is NASCAR. <laughs> you, you wouldn't have guessed that, I'm sure. Not at all. <laughs> and so these, these guys jump over the wall and in 14, 13 and a half, 13.2 seconds, something like that, every tenth of a second is critical. They change four tires, put it in the tank, clean the windshield, and they're back over the wall. And they've, they've got to do it with utmost precision. And they rehearse that. So yes. there's lots of different cultures of team performance. Um, and I served, I guess, you know, I served mega churches for 40 years as music director. Did you know that? I did. I, in my church in Atlanta, I had something like 85 uh, basketball teams and 100 softball teams in season. So they, we had quite an extensive sport ministry, sports ministry. So it's how do we come together? So I understand a little bit about what you do. That wasn't my area. But I understand a little bit about what you do. How do we come together and build those really important relationships? But I also understand, I mean, you've hit on a, a couple of very critical points in the first couple of minutes of this of this interview, creating relationships, telling a story, and connecting people with the value of impact. You didn't say it that way, but I heard it that way. <laughs> so let's let's unpack these. Let's unpack these. So your title is not a typical title. What do you what is your title? Chief Relationship Officer. And so you're under that umbrella that many call de uh, development. Correct which is a funny word. It is. <laughs> what, what are we developing? <laughs> yeah. And I've even, with, I've worked with uh, nonprofits of all kinds for 31 years, and I'm changing that position to be funding strategist. And it's mm. how do we create all the strategies and the relationships that are the underlying, underlying factor. And in <clears throat> the world I live in, underneath Leadership is the relationship piece. Underneath funding is relationship. Underneath right. communication is relationship. So you're probably one of the most important people in this organization as far as putting all this together. So start out with um, what's, talk about the storytelling part for a minute. How did you get good at telling story and what's so important about how you put that together and how you deliver it? Well, I have to say the first piece to that is telling the story is actually being a good listener, which I'll be honest, is not my natural default because listening is, is an active um, activity and opportunity. And so you need to be able to, when I sit across the table from one who has either given to the organization or wants to know more about the organization, I really have to do less talking and more listening to be able to hear where they are. That's how you really become a good storyteller 
is because you gotta make sure you're telling the right story what they actually are asking. So if I'm just doing all the talking, that's not going to happen. So that's really very key in what I do. Um, and it's something that I have to be intentional in, which goes back to when we talk about building those relationships. It's very intentional. It's not by happenstance. Well, that's, whoa, you keep getting these highlights that are just so on target. Um, I know so many people in, in charity work uh, you know, I substitute different words. We're in a, we're not in a for-profit business. We're in a for-purpose business. Um, and I, I hate the word nonprofit because it's makes us think in scarcity terms. Yes. Um, so, so. And it's abundance. We're in abundance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's there. I mean, God's given us abundance and we just turn away from it instead of accepting it. Um, and there's a lot of good things we can use that for. Um, but I do, what, what you triggered with that last thing you said, um, a lot of people have the script and they give the same script to every single person without regard to what you just said. What is that person looking to, to do? What difference do they want to make? What are their interests? So as, as you approach people, what are some of the things that you do to get to know that person? Well, I really start with asking a lot of the same questions that you've asked me. Who are you? What's brought you to the place for us to sit down and have this conversation? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your background. Tell me about your passions. And then you sit back and you actually listen. And we may, and, and, and usually in that first time, that first meeting, that first interaction, we may very scarcely actually speak about the organization that I'm serving. Because the whole point is to, to recognize where they are and how they connect with us. And that's going to take time. Like any other relationship, it's going to take time to be able to understand those points and have them feel comfortable enough to share. So that first meeting is really just to get to know them. And it's asking those probing questions. A lot of what we don't do in the traditional networking world, that's something that I feel um, I really enjoy and it, and it feeds me because... I really get to just learn. I get to interact and learn more about people. I, I say most often, I love people. I don't always like people. <laughs> I'm not always liked, but I love the interaction of people. Um, we talk about people watching. I love to people listen <laughs> and just to get to know them more and see how we really do interconnect. I couldn't do what I do all by myself. No matter how much I feel like I've got a skill set for it, it takes all of us and being able to be put in a setting where I get to, to fill myself up with learning more about others, how they connect, how they click, what they're passionate about um, really pushes me to, to, to be a better version of myself. Whoa. You keep rolling out these sound bites. So you don't do it by yourself. No. Um, build relationship. It's not about the organization. It's about them. Yes. And here's one that just zing past. I'm going to bring it back. Whoosh. You said in the first meeting. So it's not one and done. Talk, oh, no. about, talk about that, would you? Oh, no. Because, you know, Hugh, how many times have you and I crossed paths and spent time? It's not one and done. I don't go into it thinking one and done. I'm hoping they're not. They're feeling, This is for longevity. They're looking to leave legacy 
they want to make sure that beyond themselves, who they are is left behind and others will know. That takes time and that's not gonna happen in one interaction. When I think of any of the relationships, you know, we can all kind of think back to, to high school. Maybe it was a great experience, maybe it wasn't. But when you think about the opportunities to engage with those that you knew at that point in time, how long did it take to establish a relationship that you could still engage with that person today? We're not high school students anymore, well past that. Uh, it, you cannot think of it in the fact of, like you said, a one and done. Uh, but you go into it knowing you want more. You go into it recognizing that the next time we can cross paths, I'll be looking forward to learning what's happened since that time to where we are. Um, and so it's that expectation that comes across in conversations that I think really draws people in to say, I want to tell you more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other one you talked about is before you can be a good storyteller, you have to be a good listener. Yes. So how, how am I doing on that listening so far? You're doing great. You actually do a fantastic job with that. And you know why I know that, Hugh? When we have conversations, the next time we engage, there's usually some soundbite that you bring back to the table from our last engagement. That's active listening, to hold on to those nuggets. It is active listening. It's, it's active, empathetic listening. Um, it's actually um, caring about the person. There's a quote that I can't chase down the origin of is, um, listening is so close to loving, you can hardly tell the difference. Mm. And isn't that rich? Isn't that rich? It's, it's, you know, and, and we need more love. We got people fighting over things. Just, we need more love. And we're in a place where the, the charities of this world, these 501c3, for purpose organizations, uh, are more important than ever before in history. We're doing a lot more important stuff. So it's really important for us as professionals in that space to continue, and you said it, continue working on yourself. You said that somewhere along the way. You, you're always getting better. You're always working on yourself. Jim Rome, the motivational speaker, who used to speak a lot in front of multi-level companies, but he did a lot of generic presentations, was known to say just about every time, work on yourself harder than you work on your business. It's a now, great point. Uh, you and I know each other from the Lynchburg Business Alliance. That's right. And um, we've, I hear you present at the uh, first Friday uh, gathering. It was the first Friday gathering. And um, Lynchburg Business Alliance is a really great organization. It's sort of like a um, chamber of commerce on steroids. It's really good. And <laughs> Great analogy. <laughs> Yeah, and you've been there, and you step out. I, I talk, and I feel stupid. You step up, and you're just like, wow, that's brilliant. And so let's talk about you're making a presentation, and I see people making presentations that don't make eye contact. They don't work on their language. They don't really face the person and look engaged, and they talk all the time and don't listen. So what I've noticed about you a, you're a top-notch presenter, you're a speaker, you have lots of poise, but you have a lot of skill. So how, did you get coaching on presentation skills? How did you get where you are with your quality level, your, your, your delivery, your articulation is, is wonderful, your physical presence, your demeanor, you're there, you're engaged with people, your pacing is very good. It's so easy to follow. Um, 
those aren't normally skills that you just drop in and go with. Did you have some learning to get where you are now? Well, first, let me say, I appreciate, I, I don't hear myself that way. <laughs> and so it's great to know that that's what's coming across. Uh, but it isn't, again, it goes back to that intentionality. So no formal training. I'll be very honest with you. And, and I can't wait to share this recording with my mother because in fourth grade, the big thing was, she's a great student, Miss Adams, if we could just get her to stop talking. And so now I'm using the power for good. <laughs> uh, so I've just been talking for a very long time. And I, I do like to be heard. I mean, I know uh, we do. We as humans do like to be heard. And so what makes it pleasant for someone to listen? Uh, and and a, a big part of it is recognizing your audience, recognizing if there's a time frame, okay, we've got 30 seconds. 30 seconds is 30 seconds. How, how, what can I do in that 30 seconds to convey a message that's going to be pleasing and attractive to my audience? So again, back to that intentionality and thinking it through. We're talking to people at what, 8, 15 in the morning? Have they all had their coffee? You know, what's going to draw them in and engage them for that 30 seconds um, and get that message across and leaving them with just wanting a little bit more. So when that time comes for further dialogue, we've got something to springboard off of. Uh, clarity in our speech. People need to be able to understand. If they can't understand, they've checked out. We're busy. There is so much coming past us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis that if you if you bog them down with so much and all these words and they can't figure out what you're trying to say, what you're wanting to convey, what you want them to hear, they're done. We're busy. So I think it really is taking those things. Again, I, I, I hone in on, in everything that I do, I really look to be very intentional, uh, whether that's in my personal or in my professional life, because time is precious. It is the most precious commodity we have. Can't get any more of it. So let's use it. Let's use it to the fullest. And I think those are the things that really roll through my mind as we're passing around that circle. And I see my time coming is how can I use this most precious commodity with these people who have given me their time? And that would be generally true of anybody you're speaking to on behalf of your organization, I guess. Most definitely. There, there is no doubt. Uh, they, there's so much. We are one of how many organizations we know that it used to be on average that those that give it to, to a nonprofit who want to do more and beyond themselves, they were having at least seven to 10 opportunities coming through to them on a weekly basis. That number has exponentially grown at this point in time. And as we get towards the end of the year, we know that that steps up even further because of those who want to jump into the game and, and get their, their message out there. So intentionality of messaging and making sure we go back to that active listening. Do I know this person well enough that I can actually speak into what speaks to them? And if I haven't had that opportunity yet, let me at least know that I need to be engaging and not waste their time. If that, if there is something that speaks there, they, they come back and say, I do want to know more. So yes, in every conversation, um, that's the whole point that I walk into. That's such a key point Well, you keep hitting all the high spots. Uh, let's unpack that one. Okay. Um, you said you want to leave them wanting to know more. Now, um, I hear, I, I um, teach at a business growth conference that now happens in Tampa Bay area where you're from. And, um, but I've been 
presenting for 12 years and there's three meal tables uh, and they get to sit with faculty and ask, they get to present their, their pitch. And what I hear is this long, I've, I've, I've been at over the 12 years, 900 of those meal tables and, uh, and four to eight people at a time giving their pitch and universally, I would say globally, there's too much, too much data. And, and so it, that's the hardest thing to cure. We, we're so enthusiastic and we want people to be as enthusiastic as we are. And there's so much to know. So how do you get to the, what's the essential message that you want to give people and how do you stage it so you get their interest? Because they're not looking, they're not looking for places to put their money typically. They're, they're, they're giving you the time because you've got the relationship. So how do you go through this sorting process of coming up with what the essential message is for that first time and the second time? Well, truly what it comes down to is learning as much I can about, if it's an individual, about the individual as possible. So in most cases, someone's being introduced to me through someone else. So how much can that person who's doing the introduction tell me about who I'm going to be sharing with and having that opportunity to, to sit down and have a meal with um, and going in with that, that knowledge. But I, again, have to be super intentional about this because I am a talker and our, my natural inclination is to, is to want to, I'm excited to tell you everything, but I, I walk in there recognizing that I'm never going to be able to tell, tell you all of it. And I need you to experience it. The best way for you to experience that is when you come back to me, and want to ask questions and know more. So I've got to leave you that cliffhanger. I really, it's, it's, it's like, it's like writing, it's, it's writing that drama series. You want them to come back next week. I want that next. So how do I give you just enough of the information, being respectful of your time, knowing what I know about you, but leaving enough of a question mark, not, I don't know what you talked about, but I want to know more. Uh, and, and it is, it's, it's setting the time before any meeting, any interaction to think through and, and putting that together. So it is orchestrated to, to a point and letting them take the lead in, in bringing that about. So how did you get here? You said you wanted your mom to say it because the teacher said um, you talked a lot. And so how did you get from where that was to where you are today? Well, lots of trial and error. Let me just tell you, uh, it, it, it wasn't something that was overnight. It was recognizing that honestly work does not have to be, and is not intended to be a four letter word. It is something that you can actually enjoy and have passion about your passion and your career can come into a marriage um, that is harmonious. That does not mean that we live in a happily ever after and you wake up every Monday morning and say, I just can't wait to. Uh, it doesn't mean that that's the case, but it does mean that you, you, there is a recognition that I'm, I'm, there's a purpose behind what I am doing. And knowing that I am being able to live in that purpose and perform in that purpose and engage in that purpose um, on a daily basis, that's what brings me the joy because happiness is not the end goal. That's circumstantial and circumstances don't always bring about, I don't always get the outcome that I want. So happy is not where I need to reside. Joy is truly where I need to reside. And, and it's been through a process. Um, my business that I had for almost 12 years in Tampa Bay, 
I, I did well in a point in time. I, I realized one of my dreams, which was to uh, manage a, a sporting event, a major sporting event, which this was the Super Bowl in 2009. At the end of that very year, my highest high, I experienced my lowest low when the economy took such a tank that it took my small business and pushed me into bankruptcy. Something that was the one of the most difficult things in my life to walk through because it was a, now where do I go from here? This is who have I, I've identified myself to be. And, and my faith has really been the catapult to through the highs and the lows to keep me grounded as to, again, not getting caught into the day-to-day circumstances, but recognizing that it is a journey. Um, so that's what's taken me from that fourth grader who just wouldn't stop talking. And, and it's been honed. And, and, and manipulated and, and on that potter's wheel to get to a point where I recognize the strengths in it and the weaknesses and being intentional about honing both of those to do, for, for, for allowing the weaknesses to be decreased <laughs> and for those strengths to be increased and that it's not in my power, but with my hands surrendered open. Um, so so no, no secret, the secret's open to all of us um, to, to, to be able to do those, those very same things, because that's why that was the intention of our creator for us. Um, and, and that's where I find most of my joy is knowing that I've laid myself in his hands and he's the one who's doing it. I get to experience the joy through it. It is a true joy. Um, so there's a couple of things there about perseverance. So getting a no, it's hard not to take that personally. Oh, Yes. So keeping, keeping the faith when you get no's. So there's a, there's a process, and I wanna, um, I wanna ask you about the steps in the process, but first, are you familiar with Napoleon Hill and his writing? I am not. Napoleon Hill um, met Andrew Carnegie, you know that name. Yes. And Andrew Carnegie said, if you'd work for me for 20 years for free, I'll introduce you to the most successful people in America. Of course, in the 1930s, it was male. And um, they were all um, that competitive capitalist, the Rockefellers and the uh, uh, Wanamakers and Woolmers and Carnegie himself and Ford presidents. So 500 people he interviewed came up with this law of success. So a lot of it is what you, what you just articulated. You know, there are, God's given us natural laws. We either work with them or, <laughs> or not. If you want to be really successful, what, what you're presenting are some of the, Ought to be intuitive, but they're they're really logical laws of how things work, and and the laws of nature, the laws of, of human relationships, and when we don't have a sensitivity to how those work, then we don't get the results that we think we should. And so, what he distilled out of those, he wrote lots of lots of documents, but um, what he distilled were four major pieces. All those people had definiteness of purpose, and you talk about purpose. They were very clear on their purpose. They were also very clear that they brought value to people and what they were doing. Think of, think of Thomas Edison and the most prolific inventor we ever heard of. And he was just, just so intent on inventing things that help people. Yes. Um, and, and, he, and they also gathered in a group that he determined to be a mastermind group. They helped each other out. And, and so there's, there's this community of people that they work with. And, and the last one was this, this thing about intention. It was, there was no, there was no admission of failure. 
because uh, he, he said every in every failure there's a seed of a future success and so failure in my language is a rehearsal for success it's a you know it's a learning opportunity uh, and so so those are very similar to what you said and Napoleon Hill has written a lot of things and, and people mistaken mistakenly think it's about greed and money when really it's about creating this this position that you're going to influence people to create the value that brings everyone benefits so that I just didn't know if you knew about those writings and they're often mis misplaced and miscued to be greed when really it's about what you just said you know, in the way I've read it over the last 30 years any response to that well, you hit some two great points that, that really are, are pivotal for me in, in my day-to-day, -day, again, professionally and personally. And one is the, the, the idea and the, the concept of community and the fact of how important that is. We, are, we, are not, we weren't designed to be these, these lone soldiers. Uh, I know that our culture says, I don't need, I can do um, all by myself, self-made and things of that nature. But, but we really are, not to just use a, a terminology that's just been thrown about, we are better together because that's really how we were designed to be. And, and so I recognize that whether I'm talking about my, my, my core team that I work with within our, our headquarters staff here in Lynchburg, whether I'm talking about our staff that, that is all the way around the world, or our community of, of, of givers and supporters, it is because of all of us working in harmony, community, <laughs> having that unity, having that, that, that common purpose, keeping that common language in front of us, uh, that really makes us better. No matter, no matter how much I, I may be in the position of garnering funds down to, the, to this basic core of being a fundraiser, uh, truly, if I if I don't have intentional communication and unity with my operations staff, communication staff, um, finance, it's not going to work. It, it's just not. I'm not going to be the best that I can be, and they won't either. Um, and so, making sure that because that audience is just as important. Um, thinking of my board. They're coming from different aspects. Those are volunteers. You know, we think of board members and how much influence they have. They're volunteering their time. But again, if we don't have that unity. So that's one of the main things that you just said that really sparked with me that that is an underlying current in everything is keeping that community um, in the, the first and, for, and forefront uh, in anything that we're doing. Because your board of directors is your mastermind group. If, if we invite them to be. Yes. And yes. So how do you interface with the board? Uh, well, I try to be as personal with them as I am with those that I actually sit shoulder to shoulder or stand shoulder to shoulder with within the office. Again, they trying to get to know them, making no assumptions that because they've been a board member for 25 years that they actually understand all of what is going on in the organization and the direction in which we are going because we're so easy to get caught into. This is the way we've always done it. Now I'll tell you, sports outreach, 30 years old. I started with them last June. This is the first time this organization has really been in a place of having formalized development, formalized fundraising relationship cultivation. It's been 
friend raising to this point in time and someone may know this snapshot about the organization and not realize that they're a part of an organization that is really reaching a much broader scope and that includes our board so it's it's spending time and being intentional and picking up that phone beyond an email and saying i need 30 minutes of your time for you to tell me how the organization can best serve you where, what are your passions beyond sitting around that board table? And we've got a very active board, a very engaged board, but there are definitely those who are founding board members and, and, and are a little stuck a couple years back, if not a decade or so back to where the organization is simply because someone hasn't had that intentional conversation and allowed them to share where they are. That never happens in any other board, you know. I'm glad to know we're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would say you're in really good company. Um, and it's just part of human nature. But it's people like you that inspire people to think out of, out of the old box. Um, and, and so interfacing with the board is key for your position, isn't it? It is. It is. If I don't have board um, support, if I don't have board understanding, if I don't, they're introducing um, me to, when I go back to those, how do you get those initial meetings? Who am I sitting and talking to? What are those crucial relationships that need to be cultivated? My board is key in opening those doors. So if they don't know, if I don't know them well enough, and in turn, they don't know me well enough, they're not going to open, they're not going to open those doors up. We're going to continue to come and sit around the table and we're going to meet twice a year and we're going to walk through some things and sign some documents and move on. And, and that's not the case when you sit down and have that one-on-one conversation with the board member outside of the, the round table to say, how is the organization speaking into you? And where do, where do you see our strengths? And opening that door to say, yes, where do you see Areas that we need, we need work. Uh, again, people want to be able to be heard. Uh, so it is, it, the relationships that are built there are crucial. Um, mm-hmm. And recognizing that, especially as one who's coming in brand new to not only a, a position, um, but for all intents and purposes, I wasn't replacing, we are building. When I need those to come around me to help us build it together. Um, and, and, I've, and I've received a lot of appreciation for that approach. I would not be one that you would ever have anyone call be tr- to, to be listed as traditional. I really am very much outside of the box. We talk about the elephant in the room because he's not going away just because we don't talk about him. Um, that's the only way we're going to get up and over and onto that next level. Uh, and it makes those uncom- some uncomfortable, no doubt. Uh, but we don't just leave it there. Um, and, and that's where I think there, there's the difference. You can just open up a can <laughs> and, and let it fly. But no, again, it goes back to that intentionality of this is something that needs to be dealt with. Let's, let's do this together. I'll just point out to the listeners that the elephant in the room was a he. <laughs> yeah, I recognize that's what it said. <laughs> He doesn't think I'm going to let that slide by, but it, it's probably more true than not. Um, so uh, there are um, there are boards that think when they have a person like you, they don't have any work to do. Yes. And so I think what are the different components of your work uh, 
there, I'm, I'm thinking there's a there's a uh, a teaching component. Uh, there's a team component. There's a prep component. I mean, what are some of the components in your work that relate specifically with the board? Well, you you hit on a lot of them, and the number one is is teaching. It, it, they don't take anything for granted that they just know. Uh, there is that that idea of we know that this needs to happen. Why 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 does it not just in or, our organization in my previous um, organization as well? The area of cultivating relationships we know is important, and it's people give to people, not to organizations. Mm -hmm. So it's, we know it's important to be able to have that groundwork. Why does it some most times, a lot of times, come across as an afterthought to put someone in that role. It's not because of the dollars and cents that go along with the role that I have, truly and honestly, especially when you are working in, in the area of, as you said, we don't like to use the terminology nonprofit, but it is you know for purpose. But, but we do recognize that those dollars are crucial and how they come in and how they're being used and the impact that we're making and the responsibility that we have with those dollars. But what, where, where the rub usually comes in or what makes people uncomfortable is what someone in my role brings to the table to say that we have to do. And a lot of that is we have to do this together. It isn't you get to come in twice a year and speak through a couple of agenda points and move on. There's an expectation that we're going to engage together, that we're actually going to sit down together and meet with. You're not going to give me a list of names and say, go. You're going to share with me relationships that you have established, and we're going to do that together to a certain point. Uh, because without you, I'm just another person on the other end of the phone. And so it is that education component that is, I feel, most crucial with a board, especially an established board. And then there is the thinking outside of the box, that we, we will only get what we've always gotten if we always do what we've always done. <laughs> we have to do it differently if we want different outcome to come about. And um, you know, you, you want to have a board that is established and not feel like they're flighty and all over the place. But there, there, is, uh, there is that danger of becoming complacent unintentionally if you, if, you, if you just let it lie. And so there's that pushing component. I don't know what the best terminology for that is, but we've got to stay. We do have to stay on the cutting edge. We do have to continue to look and see what are, what are our constituencies saying to us. Listen, you know, through their giving or their non-giving, or they literally are speaking to us. They're writing back on, are we listening? Or are we just going to continue to communicate, communicate, communicate what we want? And we've always done a newsletter every month, so we're going to always do a newsletter. Maybe we need to do a quarterly. Maybe we need to change the format. Maybe it does need more pictures. Maybe it is too wordy. If these are the things that they're saying, um, and, and so I think those two components just within my first year are the things that I've spent most of my time with the board um, in presenting and showing credence to, listening to them, and giving pushback. Um, and thankfully, I have to say, I have a board who has accepted that really well, even when we don't all agree, but they have given me the opportunity to, to, to share, to listen. I don't have all of the answers, but I have been in this industry for a while. And the big thing is I've been who I am for 43 years. And I recognize that uh, really spending time with those 
who are like-minded and they want to share, spending time listening to what they're, sh- and then acting upon has the, the, the greatest impact. So this listening thing goes all the way around. It's not just your, your donors, it's your board members as well. And I, I, I experience you as very direct and asking for what you need. And that's, that's one reason I see that board members don't perform on any level is because they haven't been asked to do so. Um, and, and, and so there's, there's, let's ask them to do it, but let's look, give them the skills and the, the documents. You know, they need a, a one sheet or a, they're going to yeah. talk at a rotary, they need a slide deck, or they need the verbiage to open the door for you to come. If there's a, you know, a high net worth donor who wants to talk to the, the person in your seat. Um, there's also a factor of what psychologists call a money shadow. People don't feel comfortable talking about money, so they actually repel it. And, and so I find a lot of people say, I'm going to give you a name. Would you connect us? Well, I don't want to talk about money. So they feel like there's something negative about talking about money. How do you, how do you address that? You know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. Well, yes. And, and I've heard it enough times from constituency, from our supporters that have said, I was just, just last year, I was just waiting to be asked. I needed someone to explain. I wanted to understand just waiting for the ask. So, you know, we, we sit in conferences and hear these things and read blogs that say it, but I've actually experienced it waiting for the ask. And so to share that with a board member, that this, this fear that we have of they don't want to be asked, it's just the opposite. The other piece to it is you, you hit on it. It's the education of it's not going in haphazardly. We've got a need and we want you to meet the need here. Again, back to that intentional conversation. Well, where's their heart? What's their passion? We serve in a lot of different areas and touching a lot. through this area of sports ministry, we're touching lives from child sponsorship mm-hmm. to feeding programs, to education, to church planting. There is, there is so much that outpours off the field that we're serving that, that there is bound to be an area that we've got to listen. And then you can be able to make that presentation. Oh, they're selling a house. They're sending children off to college. Oh, they're empty nesters. Where are they? And that will give you an opportunity to have an ask that is intentional. So again, they want that. I tell board members and I tell other colleagues, and I have to remind myself of this. It's truly not an ask for dollars and cents. It's an invitation to make impact. That's what it is. And everybody likes to be invited. Everyone likes to be invited. I want in on that party. And, and that's the way that I walk into a conversation. If I feel like I'm coming after your wallet, well, then I don't want to do, I don't want to do that because who wants that? We're going we're gonna to clinch that wallet. We're going to clinch that, that purse so tightly because now I feel like you're just trying to rob me. But if you're inviting me, I, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to hear and be a part of that. So that is a mindset that has to be one that doesn't just – result a key little cute phrase to say no i gotta live that out i have to truly believe that and when i believe that that's why it's easy to to go in and say here's an invitation mr walmart <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh boy those are those are really good words those are so many good sound bites in this so there's a front end storytelling before you meet the donor there's also a back end after they've donated and, and we fail miserably here telling them what's happened with their money, tell them what's telling them the story, tell them the story, and you come up on the anniversary 
then when you ask for another donation, it's a whole different ball game. So yeah. how do you how do you navigate that? Well, the first thing after they've done is you got to make sure that you don't muddy the waters and you thank the supporter. <laughs> so we, we can't mix all of these things together. There really is an opportunity to thank the donor for what they have done. Thank that supporter for how they've come alongside, how they've deepened that relationship to be able to accomplish that impact. Um, so they want to be appreciated. You want to be appreciated. I want to be appreciated. And it's, it's built into our DNA. So making sure we don't gloss over that with just a receipt letter saying, thanks, for, we received these dollars, but actually saying thank you for the impact that you've made. So thanking them. And then you're right. If the next time they hear from us is the next time that there's an invitation to give, an invitation to, and they don't know what that last has actually done, well, I'm not, I'm quite convinced you're going to get, we're going to get another gift. It's not going to be the gift that we could have got if we had actually shown and they had become connected with the people on the other end of that gift and not just got stuck on the dollar and decimal. So that's the, those are the steps that really come along the way is making sure that they have that engagement piece and they know that they can, pictures that come across, making it real to them. Uh, we've got the opportunity within the organization to put our supporters on the field where they are serving and interact. That's not for everyone. I recognize that. Uh, whether it may be stage of life or uh, financial component or just not a desire to travel internationally. But they still want to know. They still want to experience. And that as a storyteller is a good portion of my job is making that as real for them through video, through photo, through my story from being on the ground myself. I just returned from our El, Salvador, uh, El Salvadorian mission field in July. I've been thoroughly excited, pulling my pictures together, throwing up my slideshows, just like if I came back and wanted to show with my, share with my family. This is what I was able to experience. Look at what we are doing, we, collectively. Not sports outreach, headquarters, Wendy Adams, chief relationship officer, what we collectively are, are doing and, and, and able to, to make impact and who we're touching, families that are, children that were getting drawn into gang violence and now have an option because there was no option before. That brings people to a point of, wow, that's happening? I'm a part of that? Well, not only do I want to remain a part of that, I want to deepen that. I want to share with others. And all of a sudden, I've just extended my development team. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, in, I'm going to give you um, a chance to leave people with a parting thought, but I'm, I'm going to do a sponsor message before that. But before we do that, we got a couple of minutes. Talk about start to where you just finished up. What are some steps in a process to find, engage, pr present, secure the, the donation and follow up? You know, can you give me some of the, the timeline, the steps in that timeline? Well, I think, um, yeah, I'm trying to do that in a consist, uh, con uh, concise manner here, making sure that, that you're comfortable. I'm comfortable enough with my message that I know who we are. Who am I? What, who is sports outreach and what are we doing and what are we accomplishing? Um, what is our mission and our goal so that I can actually articulate that in a way that makes sense. And then when I have that opportunity to share, um, again, it's being intentional with the time and, and, and with the person who I'm with. 
knowing as much about them, sharing that. Okay, that first meeting and getting to know, make sure that there's a follow-up, that you immediately thank them for that time. That was their first gift that they gave, was the time to sit and share, to listen and to share. So following up with a thank you there. We can't outthink. There's no overthinking. You can't. Uh, so doing that. And then when it comes to a point of actually making that invitation to give, making sure that that is something that is connected to the supporter perspective or established, but you're wanting them to go deeper, that that is not something out of the clear blue just because it's what the organization needs. And so from that point, then we make sure that we thank them for that gift. Again, going back to that thanking and then taking those steps to make sure that there is an intentionality of impact storytelling along the way. Um, they, you know, a blog comes through, well, they may not be an, inter an, an internet person. That may not be the way, if they're like my mother, she's gonna check every 10 days. Print it off, write a handwritten note and throw it in that snail mailbox so that they can see this is the difference that we are making together and I can't say thank you enough. Um, and, and then inviting them, inviting them to, to share it with others. Uh, don't leave it out there as, as just, well, they're going to do that. Invite them to do that. Remind them how important it is to get the word out that we celebrate this with others. Um, and then at any opportunity to take them to another level and, and for each person. So you've gotta, you got to have your notes because for each person that next level is something different. But making sure that we do have an intentional plan along the way of how we're going to continue to deepen our relationship. Um, I think that those, I know that those are the steps that work. And honestly, if we think about it, and you said this a little bit before, those are the basics of human interaction. We could take the fundraising portion off of the, off the table. That's how we really deepen the relationships one-on-one -on -one personally, is making sure that there are those touch points along the way. It's just not going to happen um, without that intentionality. Wow. That's, that's a lot of really good information. Um, we'll have this transcribed. It'll be in the podcast. It'll be on the website. And so we'll capture all of these really good sound bites. We're able to do these podcasts and, and host them on the website as well um, because we have sponsors. And our sponsor is um, WordSprint, wordsprint.com. Bill Gilmer and his team know how to do what Wendy was talking about, and they do it through mail mail. And through two decades of research, they know it boils down to 30%, it's the message. 30%, it's the right person. 30%, it's the rhythm of the messages. And 10% that's left over is the appearance. And so the, the formula that you just delivered, Wendy, is the winning formula, and they deliver it by mail, so somebody has it in their hand. Because you and I know that email has gotten to be pretty toxic. <laughs> I, I took the weekend off and came back after four days with 5,000 emails and I haven't even started on them. And so if there's a crucial message in there, I'm likely to miss it. So that's a practical application. Uh, WordPress prints nonprofit performance magazine and they do our mailings for us and they know what they're talking about. So look up wordsprint.com. They know how to implement what Wendy's talking about and it's building your list and staying in touch with those people who, who want to support you, they just need to know more about it. 
Right. Wendy, this has been um, an amazing interview with very useful information. I know you're, you're doing your work and you took a, an hour out to, to share with nonprofits everywhere. And I want to give you a chance to have a final word. What closing thought or challenge or idea would you like to leave with people today? Well, I definitely want to be able to say we have been called, our community of nonprofit professionals, to, again, do this, this work better together. We may recognize that we represent several organizations, but we're talking to a lot of the same people who have the, a lot of the same passion, which we discussed earlier, about leaving a legacy beyond themselves, beyond just what's happening today. And I think instead of really jockeying for position, I know here locally, there's, there are organizations and, and, and associations that bring us together as professionals in this area. To, to learn from one another, to do exactly what we've done here today in sharing and recognizing that I don't have all the answers and neither do you, but as we come together, that community that we were talking about, we can actually make deeper and further impact in our world and, and, and our time that we're living in now and for the future that's coming. And so that'd be my charge is recognizing that everything that we are learning now and engaging around and doing in our present circumstance isn't just for today and so how can we build one another up to, to to make this world a much better place for the time that we're here um and that's what i've learned significantly over the last seven years uh, and really try to have as that common line throughout my day-to-day -day as i'm interacting and engaging with my colleagues um and reminding each other of that. So that's my parting word. Um, remember, work, not a four-letter word. Passion in everything that we do. Um, and, and enjoy it. Enjoy it and embrace it. Uh, and, and, and it's something that, again, we need to be intentional about reminding each other about. So today's my day. And, and tomorrow I might be in the depth of those 5,000 emails and I'll need that reminder. So let's be that reminder for one another. Absolutely. Wendy Adams with Sports Outreach. Their link is on the page and in the podcast. And uh, your wisdom far exceeds your years on this planet. Um, thank you for sharing your wisdom with uh, our friends that listen to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.